It was a weekend, a, a, a weekend packed full of bad takes, I would say. It was like uh, we all came collectively together and said, you know what, this weekend we're going to make a bunch of bad takes and it's going to be bad take weekend just a couple weeks before April Fool's and we're saying a lot of these people were like, you know, let's let's push April Fool's just up a little bit. Okay, we heard I was hearing uh, WBC is pointless. It's exhibition games all weekend. Just mind numbing stuff in my skull. Just really giving me a headache. Uh, I heard Colin Coward start calling out MJ for not being a good uh, owner, even though we created this monster in MJ where we feel like he has to be perfect at everything he does, even though uh, nobody's perfect at everything that they do just because he won six championships. Uh, he was 6-0 and in the finals means that he should be good at literally elf everything else that he does. That's not how that works at all. Uh, if you went, we went and watched him play golf, he probably wouldn't be able to beat a lot of the professional golfers in our world. And then somehow, some way, we'd find a way to be disappointed at how bad he is at golf compared to uh, the other professional golfers in this world. Uh, we, A lot of the sports anchors and, and color commentary and then the Colin Cowards of the world, they created that monster that was Michael Jordan. Uh, or the belief that Michael Jordan should be fantastic at everything he does, even around basketball, even though a lot of the guys that end up uh, that were players that ended up getting into the front office game for basketball don't end up panning out as well as you would expect uh, or as well as uh, they would have hoped. All you can really say about Michael Jordan uh, is that since he is selling the team, he bought it at a much lower price than what he is selling it for now. So in that sense, it's a success. I mean, you can look at it that way. Uh, he is a good businessman, which is very clear. Uh, he's basically turned Jordan into a, a a brand that is synonymous with uh, fashion, uh, streetwear fashion, obviously, basketball fashion as well. Just basically anywhere you can see people buying Jordan shoes uh, for astronomical, amount, astronomical prices. Um, so he's good at that. But the one time he maybe isn't the best in the world at what he does, which is you know, being ownership, even though one of the core ideas of being an owner in anything, uh, especially a sports franchise, is making the thing that you own more valuable. And Michael Jordan has done that very successfully with the Hornets, even if their basketball product hasn't been the best. Uh, he bought his majority stake at $275 million, and it is now estimated to be valued at about $1.7 billion. So, I mean, he succeeded in making it more valuable uh, in the Hornets in general, a more valuable business. But just because the team is out there not winning championships and not necessarily competing as well as uh, you would see other teams competing. And not to mention in Charlotte, not exactly the greatest basketball setting. You're not going to get a lot of uh, I mean, you could try to get a lot of superstars to come over to Charlotte to say you're playing for Jordan, quote unquote, but you're not really playing for Jordan. Uh, and it's also no offense to Charlotte, but compared to everywhere else where you could be playing basketball, it's not the highlight at the top of the list for basketball stars to go and play at. Just like my favorite team, Oklahoma city, obviously San Antonio, they grew a lot of their stars. They didn't bring a lot of people into San Antonio to win championships. They got them out of the draft and they built a, a, a successful franchise that way. And that's a lot harder to do uh, than I think a lot of people are just, uh, than a lot of people are owning up to or saying, uh, and it's just because Michael Jordan should be good at this because he knows basketball, even though there are so many other countless factors that go into go into owning a basketball franchise and making a basketball franchise good or any franchise in general. Not like I know. I, I wouldn't know what to do with a basketball franchise if I owned one either. Like, I would have no idea. But it's weird to think that we're thinking that the general public, for whatever reason, the sports public thinks 
because it's Michael Jordan, he's the greatest basketball player of all time, he should just know how to build a basketball team. Even though he wasn't necessarily, I mean, he got a lot of championships. We saw in uh, The Last Dance, the documentary, he wasn't necessarily loved by a lot of his teammates. Uh, A lot of people thought that they rubbed him the wrong way. He is a very fierce competitor. They don't hate him, obviously, because they got him six championships. They're never going to be mad at that. I mean, at the end of the day, they probably see him as somebody that they need. I mean, they even said that in this documentary that they said, that's somebody that they needed. They, Michael Jordan doesn't win those six championships if he's not the way that he is. And that doesn't necessarily transfer as well over to an ownership stake. So just it confuses me that we're so willing to put the same expectation and the same circumstance around owning the basketball team and running a basketball team as it is playing it on the court even though we could not expect any other random owner to come down and play on the basketball court and be like, just as good, right? That's not how it works. It doesn't transfer the same way. So why do we expect it to transfer from the basketball court onto the, into the front office the same way? We just hold Jordan at this, the, the, the expectations that a lot of these people have created just because in Jordan himself as well, he's always considered himself the greatest of all time. And basically everything that he likes to do He tries to make it as competitive possible and become that person. But that's also us feeding into that narrative. It's 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 ridiculous to think that he would be able to be the greatest of all time at whatever he does, because that's just not possible. It's not humanly possible to be that person. He could be the greatest basketball player of all time. Heck, he could have even been the greatest GM or owner of all time. But there are other things that he would not be the greatest of all time at, including golf, uh, gambling, whatever it is. But it just so happens he's not the greatest of all time at being an owner. Let's just relax. Okay, wow. Big whoop-dee-doo. Okay, who cares, Colin Coward? Who cares if he's not the greatest of all time at being an owner? He's the greatest basketball player of all time, and that's really the only thing we should be judging him on uh, in terms of his overarching success as a basketball player. His business and his ownership ability should not bleed into that. His ability to, I mean, in all seriousness, his his business propositions have been successful. We talked about Jordan already. And then the, the Hornets are more successful than they've ever been in terms of money-wise, in terms of making money, obviously. He's selling that stake for $1.7 billion when he bought it at $275 million just 13 years ago. So that's, I mean, in terms of making money, that's a resounding success. So I guess it just depends on the way you look at it, but I mean, that was one of the worst takes of the weekend. Uh, and then the WBC, woof. Oh, man. One guy gets injured. Oh, I guess two guys now. Two two bigger players get injured in this tournament, and the world comes crashing down. It was a disaster for a lot of those takes. Uh, it really made me sad to see that's the to see that that's the uh, the, the overwhelming perspective by uh, in and a lot of Americans. I mean, it's a lot of Americans that have this perspective uh, that they think that their club job, whether it be for the and yes, one's a job, the other's a passion. I would say you don't get true passionate baseball. More uh, shown more in any other sense of passion than in the WBC for baseball. You can get it, I guess, the Little League World Series, obviously, but those are kids playing baseball. Uh, in terms of the limelight, these guys at this point in this tournament, they're not playing for money. They're playing strictly to represent their country and for the love of the game and something that they're fantastic at. Isn't that something that I've, all those people have wanted to argue for? Just play it because you love the game of baseball. That's what they're doing. That is what they're doing in this tournament. They're playing in it because they're fantastic at baseball and they love baseball and they want to represent their country. But then all of a sudden, when somebody gets injured during uh, one of these playing in a game where they're representing their country, we all want to walk it back and say, hey, men, let's not do this anymore. It's so 
so dumb. It is so dumb. I wonder how long it took before these, you know, these accusations started going away for, or these ideas started going away for uh, the World Cup in soccer. In the 1950s, it started. How long before people started saying, you know, after somebody got hurt or something like that, how long did it take before they were like, okay, this is actually a good tournament. Like, this is a good idea. We should keep this forever. And it's arguably the greatest tournament in all of sports. There's not a bigger tournament in the world than the World Cup in soccer. And that's what baseball is trying to do. And I think they're doing it relatively, I mean, pretty successfully. We're going to look at some of the more unbelievable moments that we got in just the past two days uh, from two different games. I'm going to go through some of the clips here. Um, MLB, please don't strike me. First, I want to intro the show. I, this is a good intro, about seven and a half minutes in. G- good job, James. Really solid intro. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast, you guys. Thank you very much for tuning in. We are presented by Jack and Kathleen Wood over at 307 Real Estate. Please go check them out. We're going to have an ad for them, obviously, here in just a little bit. Please go check them out for all your real estate need, real estate needs. Thank you very much to Jack and Kathleen Wood for sponsoring the program. So the WBC, uh, I think it's been a very successful tournament so far. We've had a couple of injuries to key players, but we've had injuries to keys players before uh, in spring training. Uh, that's something that happens. You know, they're just freak accidents. We just saw Gavin Lux go down not too long ago during a spring training game. Uh, we just saw, I think, Fernando Tatis last year also was uh, was one that went down. Brandon Nimmo. The, the Cheyenne, Wyoming kid, Cheyenne, Wyoming, Wyoming native, uh, he went down with an injury with the Mets in spring training as well. They're just freak accidents that happen. But here's the thing. I'd much rather have my guy go down playing. I mean, if you're picking from the two, or I mean, I'd much rather not have my guy go down, obviously. But if you're picking from the two, of course, I want to see my guy playing. If you're a, 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 a owner of the team or whatever, why would you not be excited to see one of your players representing their country on the baseball field and are in the biggest tournament in the world in terms of baseball. There were more people watching the, what was it, like 61% of the entire country of Puerto Rico was watching one of their elimination games. This tournament is massive. It's so much bigger, especially to the foreign countries, the countries that only focus on basically two things, and that's soccer, baseball, Japan. It's basically only baseball at this point. And so to, to think that people are arguing that it's completely pointless, it's an exhibition game, no one cares, is just... It's completely misguided. Uh, it's clearly coming from somebody that watches U.S. baseball uh, only. You know, there's no they're not paying attention to any of the other stuff because this is a huge diehard game, diehard tournament for a lot of the Caribbean teams, uh, a lot of the Asian teams in, in Japan, South Korea. They're big, big, big. I mean, this is their tournament. This is the thing that they essentially prepare themselves for to play in every year. The, the, there were a couple of Dominican players, which, by the way, uh, most disappointing team I think maybe ever put on any field ever is that Dominican Republic team. They had that lineup. I was I was pumping that lineup up for like two months because of the lineup they had put together. And I was like, this is going to be the greatest collection of baseball talent that we have ever seen on a baseball field. They should dominate and run through this tournament. Guess what? They didn't make it out of pool play. That's baseball for you, right? I mean, that's just peak baseball. Um, but yeah, the, the Dominican Republic, the, there was somebody down in Miami talking to the Dominican Republic team, this is before the end of pool play, obviously, because then they lost and got out of pool play. Um, so before the game, they asked a couple of their players. I think it was like six of their players, which one matters more, a World Series or a WBC? And five of the six players that they were talking to, these are MLB MLB stars, by the way. It was like Nelson Cruz. Uh, I believe it was Jeremy Pena. Uh, and a couple of others I can't remember off the top of my head. I think Robinson Cano was there as well. There were a couple of them. And they asked him, the, the interviewer asked him, which is more important, a World Series ring or a WBC title? And five of the six guys said a WBC title. 
a World Baseball Classic title. This is their World Cup, man. If you don't see that, you're just completely uh, culturally disconnected from how important this game of baseball and this tournament is to a lot of those Caribbean players because they don't have, uh, a lot of those countries don't have the ability to make it to uh, the big leagues, Dominican Republic not being one of those, obviously, but it means a lot more to their country in general to bring something like this back to their country than winning something like the World Series for a club that most of the time doesn't really have any affiliation to the Dominican Republic or any of the Caribbean teams or just has a very minimal uh, relation to a lot of those Dominican, uh, a lot of those Caribbean countries as well. And to have all those guys collectively together in one team that's got to be a lot of a, a huge uh, sense of pride for a lot of those countries uh, in in a, in a game, like I said, where that's basically their only uh, that's their main sport in terms of export their main sport uh, baseball. And then for some of the Caribbean countries, it's soccer. I mean, that's one, two. Those are the only things that they get. I get it for the U.S. You basically have countless sports that the Americans uh, that American uh, players can dominate in in different areas. But, you know, it's different if you're looking at the one or two sports the, the one or two sports that you're only good at as a country to have your team be uh, represented at this tournament and be good at this tournament is a huge sense of pride. So just to say that it is an exhibition tournament, it's overrated. Um, our players shouldn't be getting injured in this tournament. is just so, so baseless. Uh, and to say that nobody's, nobody cares about it is also so baseless. There was a, a stat that I saw on Twitter. This was courtesy of uh Jose McFly, I think is how you say it. Excuse me if I'm saying that wrong. Uh, this was a, a stat that was also posted by the game day as well. Uh, the total attendance for uh, these two situations, WBC pool play was 1.01 million given like that. That was over what? Four or five days. I think almost a week. Uh, the entire Oakland athletic season in 2022 was 788,000. For WBC pool play, it was 1.01 million. The WBC pool play had more attendance than the entire Oakland Athletics season in 2022. So let's not say, you know, that it doesn't matter when it clearly matters to a lot of these countries and to a lot of these people. And I think I think we're maybe jumping off of that um, that point a little bit more as we get further in the tournament, just because we've seen how exciting it is. We're going to get to the clips here in a second. Uh, and then just the, the noise that you're getting out of my, out of the stadium in Miami, uh, in, at Lone Depot park and just how much these players seem to care about everything. And every hit feels like it's a, it's a hit in the world series for people that don't have a, a connection to previous WBCs. It feels like every single time somebody's hitting the ball, Feels like it's as important as the World Series hit. You know, every single pitch matters. Uh, it's get that same exact vibe. And I really do think that the the MLB can they have a a uh, baseball in general has a possibility here to really create their own type of World Cup. And I think they're doing it very successfully here over these past uh, few weeks. And the fact that it's only a what is it been two week, two and a half week tournament or something like that. It concludes tonight. Uh, and the, the fact that it's only that long, I think, is very appealing to a lot of people because when you think of baseball, for the most part, you think of a super long season in the MLB, 162 games, super long games, that sort of thing. Uh, if you can, you could crunch it all the way down to two and a half week tournament, then, I mean, that's very attainable and watchable for a lot of people. And I think it's very, uh, uh, very much something that people enjoy watching so far. And it's, it's something it's weird. It really taps into a lot of nationwide pride. Obviously, we talked about that for a lot of the other uh, the other countries that they only have these two. Uh, two sports and soccer and baseball and to have that nation pride, uh, that national pride, you know, shown over over the world, essentially, because uh, this is this tournament's being broadcast all over the world. Uh, and to have that national pride showed all over the world is, is something that uh, 
I think a lot of people take for granted, to be honest with you. Um, but I think it's showing up a little bit more with Team USA, specifically Team USA, because it seems like we're the only ones whose uh, whose fans seem to have a weird issue uh, with their players playing in it. But uh, uh, it seemed to kind of conclude on uh, on there was this Friday, Saturday. I think this was Saturday night. Uh, Trey Turner, the U.S. was playing Venezuela. They were down five to seven. It was the top of the eighth. Uh, the Venezuelan pitcher pitching staff loaded the bases. They brought in a relief pitcher, a righty to face Trey Turner down seven to five. And, uh, this, I think this was the moment where a lot of Americans were like, okay, I could get behind this. Bases are loaded. Nobody out. If not their biggest moment for USA where they can capitalize right here. Oh, two Turner to left field and deep. An unbelievable moment, uh, one that was a blast watch. I was I was jumping around in my room when that happened. I was pumped, and did, I mean, you can just hear the crowd noise in that stadium. The other thing is, too, that I, I was talking to a couple of friends while we were watching this, and the U.S., during that game, it felt like a road game. I mean, the, the Venezuelan fans, they showed out there in Miami, obviously, which is a cultural melting pot for a lot of those, uh, for a lot of the, the Southern Hemisphere uh, countries, Venezuela, Cuba, you know, Dominican Republic, all of those countries, the Caribbean countries in general. And uh, you could tell that the Venezuelans really packed the stadium full of a lot of their fans. There were a ton of people there rooting for Venezuela. Every hit that Venezuela got, there were tons of people freaking out in the stands. It got super loud. And then the American fans, obviously, they had something to cheer for as well right after that. Uh, when they hit, uh, Trey Turner hit that Grand Slam, they would go on to win that game. The uh, the uh, the Americans would go on to win that game to move to the semifinal. They played Cuba in the semifinal. That was an entire uh, a mess that I don't think a lot of people were, uh, I think maybe not a lot of people were surprised about, but a lot of people in Miami uh, were maybe a little more surprised about how unprepared the MLB was for a game with Cuba in Miami. Um, for the lot of those that you don't know, that don't know, uh, there are a lot of people that escape Cuba, obviously, and flee to Miami, the closest place, which is Florida, obviously, and Miami's right there. Uh, so where there were a ton of protests at the game, you know, protesting Team Cuba, they seem Team Cuba as a as a extension of the arm of the government in Cuba. Uh, there were protests all. I think there were I think there were three people that stormed the field, three uh, Cuban protesters that stormed the field during the game, uh, and it was kind of interesting to see how unprepared. Uh, the MLB really was for that situation because you had to have known that that was coming if you were the MLB. Like, duh. I mean, it's it's we're talking about Team Cuba in Miami where a lot of these uh, former Cubans fleed the country from uh, to get to Miami or to get to Florida. And uh, you're going to put Team Cuba, the the thing that, you know, a lot of these people see as an extension of the arm of the government of Cuba right smack dab in the heart of Miami and have them play a baseball game. It didn't go, uh, I mean, it didn't go into Cuba's favor. Obviously, I think a lot of people were, especially even the Cuba, the people of Cuba were happy to see uh, the U.S. stomp Cuba. And uh, it was uh, it was not a great game, but they moved on. The U.S. moved on to the final. And then we've got, we got the game of the year, probably the game of year, the game of the year in all of baseball this year, I think. Uh, it could end up being that way. It felt like it was going to end up being that way. Um, we had, uh, team Mexico versus team Japan. And, uh, this game did not disappoint. It started in the top of the fourth inning, Luis Urias, uh, it's tying at zero zero and he nailed a three run home run to put Mexico on top. Oh, one Urias to left field. Going back on it, Yoshida. It is good. 
an immediate Mexican Mexican hero. Uh, you know, people are going to remember Luis Urias's name forever down in Mexico. He was a hero for that three run home run. You can hear the sound in that stadium. Uh, it is incredible. Uh, so they were up three nothing. Uh, the top of the fourth. Then came the bottom of the fifth inning. The Mexican team is still leading. Randy Rosarena, a flea, uh, somebody that flew, uh, that fleed from Cuba uh, to Mexico. That was part of the path that he took to get up to the U.S. Uh, and he went to Mexico, got to Mexico, basically started playing in the Mexican, different Mexican pro leagues for a while. That it basically for no money. Uh, and then he made his way up to the U.S., started playing in, you know, better competition and then made his way up to the MLB, obviously plays for the Rays. Uh, and then he went back to Mexico and he said, Hey, can I please get a citizenship show? I can play for your national team. And the Mexican president uh, gave him citizenship so he could play for the national team. And he gifted the team Mexico with the play of the tournament, probably with a robbing of a home run in the bottom of the fifth, still leading three to nothing. left field a Rosarena at the wall he leaps and he caught it are you not entertained a Rosarena just the coldest coolest dude on planet earth uh just sticks his glove up there times it perfectly snags the ball just stands there like a g no not even thinking about what else is going on around him there's nobody on obviously doesn't have to worry about tagging or anything like that just stands there holds the ball like an absolute g and then throws the ball in. He's a stud, one of the best players to watch, so one of the funnest players to watch in the world, uh, and uh, he's been a blast. This entire tournament, he's been fantastic, uh, and you know the Rays, of course, they're going to have somebody like that on their team who just comes out of nowhere, it seems like, uh, and has been that that dude for a while, it seems like. Uh, and then we had, so that's still 3 nothing. Team Japan's up to bat, bottom of the seventh inning, uh, Masataka Yoshida is up to the plate, uh, and they are down 3 to nothing. I'll let you listen in. To what happens next. Now the 2-2. It is hit high and deep down the right field line. Toward the corner. It is gone off the foul pole. Tie game. That's right. Masataka Yoshida. A three-run home run in the bottom of the seventh to tie the game for Team Japan against Team Mexico uh, heading into the top of the eighth. So they're tied now three to three. Then Alex Verdugo doubles to center in the top of the eighth to bring in Randy Orozana, who got on base. He scores to put Mexico up four to three. And then Isaac Paredes scores singles to left, scoring uh, Jaron Duran. Uh, Manises was thrown out at home as well. So now it is five to three heading into uh, the bottom of the eighth. Yamakawa hits a sacrifice fly to score Nakano for Team Japan. So now it is five to four in the bottom of the ninth. No, nobody scores in the top of the ninth for Team Mexico. It is five to four heading into the bottom of the ninth. Mexico can clinch a possibility to make it to the World Baseball Classic team final, or World Baseball Classic final to face Team USA uh, if they can just hold on here. Unfortunately, uh, Shohei Otani is up to the plate, the first batter for. Uh, for the T for Team Mexico to face off against, and uh, Shohei Otani doubles into the right center gap because, of course, he has. He is Shohei Otani. He's the greatest baseball player I've ever watched, uh, and he doubles one straight into the gap. Starts off the inning uh, obviously on fire, and then the uh, the Team Mexico pitcher walks the next batter as well, and that brings up Munataka Murakami, who to this point 
in this game had three strikeouts. He was trying to avoid the golden sombrero. He had three strikeouts and I believe a fly out as well. So he was 0 for 4 in the game, uh, trying to avoid the 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 the, uh, the golden sombrero. Guys on first and second, no outs in the inning, and uh, with a 1-1 count, this is what happened. Gallegos looks back at Otani. The pitch is hit to left center field. Hit very well, and it is off the wall. Otani flying around third, right behind him, scoring the winning run. It's a walk-off. Japan will play for the championship. All those clips, courtesy of MLB, MLB.com, MLB Network, the MLB YouTube page. A clutch double off the left center field wall uh, and scores two runners. Team Japan walks it off, wins six, six to five. One of the best games of baseball I have seen, uh, obviously, in honestly, in recent memory. Uh, it, it was incredible. It really, really goes to show the, the I mean, just the, the, the joy. And I'm not going to advocate this, obviously, for the MLB. Uh, but man, the one game series like that is so much fun to watch. The one game tournament type play that they have is so, so much fun to watch. Uh, I, I wish there was some way we could do a one way to uh, one game tournament or something like that in a similar way for the MLB. I would never want that in the playoffs, obviously, because I do think, you know, uh, 162 game season only to have it end, you know, in a one game playoff just because something crazy happens or something like that is not the right way to do the MLB. But I wish there was some sort of implementation into a one way, uh, a one game, a uh, one game el- elimination tournament tournament of some some kind, uh, just because it's so much fun to watch, man. Just to have the your team on the edge of elimination after one game, it's the first time you face this team or something like that. I, sp- I mean, uh, going with Team Mexico, Team Japan, it's the first time they played one another, uh, and you know, having it come down to bottom of the ninth, a guy that's you know struck out three times, flown out once, that has not had a great game. Doubles in the left center gap becomes the hero for Japan. There's going to be posters of that guy plastered around everybody's wall. Same with Shohei, obviously. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's a blast to watch. I mean, I, I just wish this, I, I mean, I don't want this. I wish this tournament was more frequent. It's every three years. So, you know, if they made it every two years, that'd be cool, I guess. Uh, but it would also be cool if they did it like every year or no, something similar like that. Every year you had a tournament like this, um, similar to uh, the soccer doesn't really have it. They have the Euros, which is every every four years, but it's every, you know, opposite two years to the World Cup. So it's basically you get every two years a major, major international tournament in the world of soccer. And I just wish there was something similar uh, to that extent for baseball, because this tournament has lived up to every expectation, uh, probably succeeded every expectation that we could have put uh, on this tournament beforehand. Uh, the group stages were fun. Uh, Chinese Taipei, Taiwan was a blast, even though they didn't make it out of the group stage. But every game I watched where Chinese Taipei was playing in their group stage matchups were were just a ton of fun. Uh, that looks like the crowd was having an absolute blast uh, in Chinese Taipei. And then Japan in Japan, it's always fun. The Tokyo Dome, those games are always a blast to watch as well. Uh, and then even in Arizona, the games are fun to watch there during the group stage. And then finally here in Miami, uh, that is probably... I'm trying to think Lone Depot Park hasn't been around for that long, probably 10, 15 years, maybe a little bit, probably closer to 15 years, I want to say. And that uh, those are probably the biggest games in that park. That's probably the, the those. I mean, just these games that they're having right now are probably the biggest games that the entire Marlins franchise uh, has had in their home stadium since they won the World Series in 2006 or whatever. I mean, honestly, that's just kind of everything that's happened that has been big for the game of baseball has happened 
because of the WBC, I, in terms of in connection with the Marlins, I guess, uh, everything that's happened with them in their stadium has not been because of the Marlins. It's been because of the WBC in the World Baseball Classic Tournament that they have there. Uh, they usually play it there because of, obviously, uh, it's easier for a lot of the, the Caribbean fans, uh, the Caribbean area fans to um, pull up to Miami, obviously. And, you know, because there's, uh, like I said, a melting pot there. Uh, so it's just been a blast, man. I thought the the crowd pop that we've gotten a lot from a lot of those games, too, especially in some of these highlights, the Masataka Yoshida home run that tied the game for Japan in the bottom of seventh. When you hear it, you don't hear it hit the foul pole. When you find out it hits that, the foul pole, you hear the crowd pop. Oh, I, that's as loud as that stadium has ever been. It's also probably as full as that stadium has ever been ever since they opened it because uh, the Marlins have been kind of a joke. It's just weird that uh, they've, they've somehow pulled out this entire um, group, this melting pot of different countries in the Caribbean to watch the WBC. But for whatever reason, the Marlins cannot get a hold of that group to come and watch the Marlins play baseball. Probably because they're not very good. Um, I mean, if they've they've brought in guys that are of descent from those different Caribbean countries, uh, they tried to get Manny Machado. I think a lot of it too. Uh, the I don't want to say the hope, but I think a lot of it was driven away, and not to the fault of him by any means. Um, but when Jose Fernandez dies, uh, died in that uh, in the boating accident, I think that was a very um, that that was more of a reset for the entire Marlins franchise. They were really trying to build something at that point. And I think when he died, when he passed away in that boating accident, I think it really reset a lot of things with the Miami Marlins. They ended up um, selling the team after that. And the owner has stated uh, multiple times that he said after he has said that uh, Jose Fernandez passing away was a huge, uh, was a huge proponent to him selling the team. And it really was a reset for that entire franchise. And it just hasn't really pulled in uh, the Latin audience that I think they really, they, they could bring in because they have a huge obviously a huge baseball demographic in that area. Uh, and if they were able to somehow just connect with that fan base, they could have really something, really something special in Miami. Uh, but unfortunately they don't pull in nearly, obviously the amount of numbers that the WBC has pulled in, which, you know, not exactly a fair comparison, uh, you know, regular season games for the Marlins with the WBC, not exactly the most fairest of comparisons, but it is interesting to see all these Latin fans from the Miami area come out and buy tickets for the WBC uh, to watch their team, the na- you know their national team come and play versus when the Miami Marlins are playing. It's a ghost town in Lone Depot Park. Nobody is there, uh, and it is a, it's a hard watch for a lot of those fans. And it's a hard watch, I'd imagine, for um, you know anybody that wants to go to those games and ends up going to those games because this team hasn't been very good. And you know, God knows it would. Uh, they made a wild card game and they beat the Cubs. I want to say not too long ago, if I remember correctly. Um, but and then after that, it was kind of back to mediocrity, and they really haven't shown anything since then. They have a great. Uh, they have a Cy Young winning pitcher, so, I mean, history could be repeating itself in that sense. Not the tragic part, obviously, but I'm saying, you know, uh, in terms of the performance of a specific person on their team that could bring back, he is of Latin uh, descent as well. So he, that 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 part of it could end up bringing back a lot of people to uh, the Marlins fan base into that park as well. But uh, it's just been interesting to see how many people have come out to that stadium to watch uh, that that tournament versus how little people come out to actually watch the Marlins, which is uh, in the same ballpark. So uh, yeah, that's the WBC. It ends tonight uh, at Tuesday. As of recording this, you're probably not either going to be watching it or it's already over, but Japan, USA, uh, Mike Trout facing off against Shohei. Shohei is going to be pitching or no, excuse me. You Darvish is going to be pitching, uh, but you know, still Shohei versus Trout. 
huge game. Uh, I'm excited. The U.S. is looking to uh, go back-to-back for the first time. Uh, I think this tournament started in 2006. I think it'd be, they'd be the first team to go back-to-back and win world, uh, uh, two in a row, two WBC titles in a row. Uh, and then Japan is looking to win, I think, their second ever. I think they won it back in like 06 or 09 or something like that, if I remember correctly. So we'll see what happens. I'm go USA, obviously. And then not rooting for Japan. I love Shohei. Don't get me wrong. Love Lars Nupar, but go, go team USA. Let's, uh, let's, let's capture another one. Shall we? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a break to hear from one of our sponsors. That is right. A sponsor of the program. We have our first sponsor on this program in the history of the program. And it is Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. You got to navigate the real estate market. It is impossible. Everybody on House Hunters makes it look super easy. They just go into three different houses and they pick the house they want. Boom, bang, boom. Episode's over. They have a house. It's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jack and Kathleen Wood will be able to help you throughout that process. And even the people in House Hunters, they have a real estate agent. And these people, Jack Wood, Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate could be your House Hunter-esque real estate agents. So if you're looking to buy real estate, sell real estate in the Sheridan area, these are the two people you should call Jack at 307-763-1249 and Kathleen at 307-461-7203. So listeners, one of the only things I'll ask from you is to support the people that support the show. And that includes these two, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Thank you very much for the sponsorship and make sure you contact them for all of your real estate needs at 307-763-1249 and 307-461-7203. Okay, let's move on here. March Madness. Hey, I had my preview last week. That was kind of a disaster. Um, I did get Furman right. Give me props for that. Okay. VCU, though, totally wrong. Drake, they could have done it. Uh, they almost pulled it off. Kind of collapsed there towards the end against Miami, but, you know, and still not a good pick for me. Uh, probably my, my worst one, though. My worst one, Oral Roberts. Man, they just got lit up by Drake. I thought I thought Max Aismas was going to be able to come in and dominate that game, possibly, but uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if Duke was listening to my show. They absolutely were not. But, I mean, I must have given them some sort of motivation if they were listening because they just dominated ORU. Uh, they did not get further than that. Drake, or excuse me, Duke did not get further than that. But I was indeed uh, dead wrong about ORU. I thought they would play better, and uh, they got stomped out. Uh, I did get, like I said, got Furman right, though. So I was one for four in the picks that I made last week in terms of upsets. Uh, my my final, f- my oh, excuse me, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was about to get litigated by... Uh, uh, you know, NCAA, very litigious. Don't want that. Uh, my, my, uh, whatever, my national semifinal picks. You guys know what I'm talking about. It starts with two Fs. You get it. Uh, my picks, completely, di- complete disaster at this point. Uh, Arizona and Purdue. Those are the two. I mean, that didn't happen. Uh, and then Texas and UConn. Uh, hey, still rolling heavy with those. We'll see what happens. Hopefully they get into the championship game because then I won't look terribly completely wrong. Uh, but Arizona, Purdue. Yeah, that was, I picked the two. Teams that got ups- the the two biggest upsets of the first weekend for my final four picks. That is how bad that was. Oh my god! I'm just looking back at the document right now, and that was a. I gotta stop doing all the research. You know, I do all the research, and then I'm like, okay, I got it. I understand college, but I finally figured it out. And then, you know, Fairly Dickinson happens, which Fairly Dickinson. Speed up. Speaking of beating Purdue, is that it's the biggest upset ever? I would say. I think I think I can confidently say. 
that that is the biggest upset in the history of college basketball. I don't think, I mean, you're going to list, I mean, UMBC, obviously, not going to doubt you there. Over Virginia, the other 16 versus one, there's only been two ever, and that's been Fairleigh Dickinson over Purdue, and then uh, UMBC over Virginia as well. But Fairleigh Dickinson, I mean, this team, I'm not going to say they're bad, but coming into this tournament, they were not uh, They were not good. They were last in tournament uh, rankings in uh, ESPN BPI, Ken Palm rankings, Kevin Pauga KPI, uh, net rankings, Jeff Sagarin's SAG rankings, uh, Bart Torvik's T ranking as well, uh, and then second to last in their strength of record. So they were, uh, by all advanced metrics, uh, from all the, the litigious people that follow that stuff, uh, last. They were the worst team in this tournament. Uh, they were ranked dead last in effective height, according to Ken Palm. Uh, 363 out of 363. And guess who was number one? Purdue. They were number one. A real David versus Goliath situation. It literally happened right in front of us. Uh, Fairleigh Dickinson didn't win their conference tournament either. They literally did not win their conference tournament, which is usually how you punch your ticket into this tournament, as you have to win your conference tournament, especially if you're playing in the Northeast Conference. Uh, you have to win that tournament in order to make this the big national tournament. But they didn't win their tournament. Uh, they lost to Merrimack in the Northeast Conference Tournament Championship, but because Merrimack is still transitioning from D2 to D1 in college athletics. They were not eligible for the national tournament. So FDU had to take their place. Lo and behold, they come in. They beat arguably the best team in the country in terms of seeding. Uh, and here we are. Purdue's enrollment in the fall of 2022 was 50,884. Fairleigh Dickinson's enrollment in 2021, because 2021 was the most recent statistics of enrollment that I could find for Fairleigh Dickinson, was 10,545. They have less people at their college than we have in the town of Sheridan, Wyoming. Uh, Purdue's basketball arena, the Mackey Complex, sits 14,240 people. Uh, Fairleigh Dickinson's arena, the Rothman Center, sits 1,852 people. Uh, the biggest upset I've ever seen in the sport of college basketball, you'll never be able to, I mean, clearly nobody was able to predict that, that upset. Uh, there were zero perfect brackets, uh, on the ESPN tournament bracket challenge. Uh, after that upset, there were no more perfect brackets after that. And, uh, it was, uh, it was awesome. It was so cool to watch. I love watching the upsets. They never get old. You know, uh, I, am a little nervous that more 16s are going to start upsetting ones and then it's just going to become commonplace. But then I think to myself, we just saw Princeton do a 15, two, that's, you know, it's not, uh, I won't say it's common, but it's more common than like a 16-1. We just saw Furman beat Virginia, 13 knocking off a four. That was not, you know, I mean, that was a blast to watch as well. Those upsets are always fun. So, you know, I don't think it's going to get old, but maybe it's more commonplace uh, than it ever has been because we have two in what the last five to six years than, you know, and we had zero in the first God knows how long in this tournament, the first 45 years of this tournament. So, it's cool. I mean, what a fun upset. Uh, speaking of the other upsets, Furman, they knocked off Virginia. J.P. Pugh's three-pointer with 2.4 seconds left after a truly, truly, truly abysmal Virginia turnover. Uh, they gave the tournament its first first jaw-dropping win. The Paladins were down 12 points halfway through the second half before rallying, switching to a zone defense uh, that I think they had used, I read that they had used like 15 possessions all season. Uh, ahead. They were ahead 67 to 65 with a chance to run out the clock. Virginia senior, Kehigh Clark was trapped in the corner rather than call a timeout. He tried a desperation heave down the floor, but the pass was easily intercepted by Garrett Hine, who quickly got the ball to Pugues. Uh, yeah, Pugues, and he it was the, the three-pointer he made all day, and it was a, it, it swished it right through. Uh, it was truly, I mean, it was one of those where you saw uh, where you saw Kehigh Clark 
throw the ball in the air and you're like, oh no, this is gonna this is gonna end up a three pointer, isn't it? Like it's one of those March Madness moments where you see it happening kind of in slow-mo and you can already kind of see the situation playing out in your head where somebody's gonna get hit in the corner uh, and there's gonna be a three that goes down and then you're behind and that's just and the thing is too, Kihai Clark, he was a huge component to the team that won the national title against Texas Tech not too long ago. So to see that him unfortunately go from the ultimate high to the absolute ultimate low in literally a matter of 2.4 seconds uh, was pretty sad to see. That was hard to watch. But then again, Furman, unbelievable. I mean, so much fun. So much fun. Those moments, again, uh, like you can almost predict them in your head. And even when they do happen, even though even if you're running it through in your head, uh, it's still unbelievable to watch. Uh, 15-seeded Princeton, they beat at number two-seeded Arizona. Uh, They were down 12 points with 11.46 left to play. They steadily crept back, and it took its first lead with a driving layup by Ryan Langborg, uh, Langborg, who with just two over two minutes left in the game, uh, and that's in that after the layup, uh, the Wildcats missed their last seven shots. The Arizona Wildcats missed their last seven shots, were outscored nine to nothing in the final 421, and from the eight minute mark had only two field goals converted, but four turnovers. The last, uh, the two teams shot only 12 free throws throughout the entire game, so two field goals for Arizona uh, and four turnovers. That is a, a masterful choke job by Arizona. Feels like they have one of those every two or three years where Arizona just fumbles the bag away when they have a fantastic team. Relatively, I mean, looking at their bracket, they had one of the, I don't want to say it was the an easier necessarily, but it was much more viable, especially after Purdue lost. Uh, Arizona could have crept into that national semifinal conversation pretty, quote unquote, easily uh, if they were able to get their ducks in a row, if you will. And uh, that's not what happened, is it? So those are just a couple of the upsets. The two biggest ones, obviously, Michigan State also won, uh, what was it, two days ago now, Sunday, two days ago, three days ago? I don't know. I don't know what day it is today, to be honest with you. It's all bleeding together. It's snowing outside, and it's March. You know, what are you going to do? Uh, you know, Michigan State, they they beat uh, they beat Marquette, you know, in the Tom Izzo special, just straight defense. Don't do anything else but rebound, play defense, and get decent shots, even though they missed, like, almost all of their three-pointers. I think they made two three-pointers throughout the entire game. Just disgusting. A disgusting, makes me want to throw up in my mouth. Tom Izzo, Michigan State win. Props to props to Michigan State. I mean, that's what they do best. They will get you in the mud, and they will win that way, and that's how they do it. And then that's the Michigan State basketball way. Uh, there are a bunch of other ones. The Pitt beat Iowa State, and, you know, just it goes down the line. It happens every year. We get big upsets. Uh, but those two, uh, especially Fairly Dickinson and then Princeton over Arizona. Princeton's still going, by the way. They just beat Missouri as well. Not just they didn't just beat Missouri; they dominated Missouri uh, in their second round matchup. And they're moving on, playing on Friday against Creighton now. And uh, who knows? I mean, they could I, I, anything's possible at this point. We saw a sweet six, or, uh, excuse me, a 15 seeded team make it all the way to the uh, to the eight last year. Almost got it to the to the uh, to the round of four, if you will. Uh, two years ago in St. St. Uh, Peter's. So well, why not Princeton? Bunch of smart guys on that team, that's for sure. Uh, and then, like I said, they just completely dod- dismantled Missouri, uh, just dominated. They won 60, uh, 78 to 63. They were dominating, shooting the three-point ball. Uh, and if they can do that again, they can beat anybody because that's how three-pointers work. Uh, they go in and they're worth more points for those of you that didn't know. So there you go. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's talk a little free agency in the old NBA, huh? Uh, or NBA. What, uh, what year is it? No, uh, NFL free agency. Uh, let's talk about it. We got some big news over the past week or so. Aaron Rodgers doing what he does best. Uh, just dragging it on the absolute longest he can. Uh, he's not saying anything more. I mean, he's not a free agent, so it really is up to the teams at this point, but you know, let's just get it over. Like, what are we doing? Uh, it seems like the Jets, 
are going to get Aaron Rodgers at this point. He said that on the Pat McAfee show that it was every inclination that he wanted to be a Jet. He was going to be a Jet, so we'll just say he's going to be a Jet at this point. Uh, he is asking to bring all of his buddies over uh, from Green Bay. Hey, help me get him out of here, and then you can have me for whatever you'd like. Uh, they want uh, He wants to bring, what, Randall Cobb. I think Alan Lazard was on there as well, Mercedes Lewis. A bunch of guys that... That the other than Lazard, the Jets really don't need. They don't need Randall Cobb. They don't really need Mercedes Lewis. I, you know, he's just. I mean, honestly, at this point, you could ask them to sign uh, Jordy Nelson, and and I think the Jets would maybe be like they'd have to think about it. I would like to see. Honestly, I I, I don't. I am annoyed by how long. Aaron Rodgers has kind of dragged this out. The guy went underground into a darkness pit or whatever and then came out and was like, I've made my decision. Like he was literal Jesus Christ uh, rising from the rock. But, you know, it's just annoying. But what I do want, though, I want him to get kind of absurd with it. I think that would be fun if he was just like, hey, you know what? I want Clay Matthews on my team again. I want Clay Matthews. Jets, please sign Clay Matthews and I'll be there. I want to see if the Jets would like think about it. You know what I mean? I just want to see him try to get more and more absurd with it. Uh, hey, I want you guys to sign Aaron Ripkowski. Let's uh, let's get Aaron Ripkowski in there, a fullback that never did anything other than uh, be a fullback and run in from like one yard out, and then you know like block in the I formation that nobody runs anymore except for when they're one yard out. Uh, so you know that'd be funny. I would like to see that if Aaron Rodgers like, can you bring back Aaron Ripkowski, Clay Matthews, and I'm in. You know, just start getting absolutely absurd. Hey, bring back Charles Woodson. Charles Woodson's 45 years old. Bring back Charles Woodson, and uh, I think I'm back. I'll, I'll come play for the Jets. And then, actually, the funniest thing is, hey, sign all these guys, and then he leaves. And he jets somewhere else. No pun intended. I didn't even mean to do that. Pun intended, and then he jets somewhere else. Uh, regardless, I mean, Rodgers clearly loves the attention. He, like, I'm not kidding. He literally, I'm. if you weren't, if you weren't aware, he went on a darkness retreat where he went underwater, or not underwater, under. I don't know, under the earth or whatever. He was basically in darkness for however long, three or four days, and then he emerged and he was like, I know my decision. I know what I must do. And it's like, okay, Aaron, like, let's just, I don't think you needed all that, bud. Like, you could have done that at your house or something. Like, just turn all the lights off in your house and then just sit there and then think about what you want to do. Like, I don't know if you needed the rest of it. Uh, anyways, Aaron Rodgers probably going to the Jets. He's going to bring all of his buddies. He's going to bring all of his friends. Just like if you won the lottery or something, you'd give some to your friends and stuff like that. He's kind of doing that for the for the Jets right now and for all his buddies at the Packers. We'll see what happens. But all inclination points that he's going to be a Jet next year, which should be fun, honestly. The Jets are going to be uh, a force to be reckoned with. I can't believe I'm saying that. In the year 2023, the Jets have been pretty much a bad franchise since... Joe Namath left, and then, you know, uh, a couple skirts here and there. I mean, Mark Sanchez was one of the best quarterbacks that they've ever had. Pause for laughter, and that's not really a joke. I mean, he's one of the better quarterbacks they've ever had uh, just from his draft day and then where he took them more or less, even though it was more of the defense. But still, took them to a bunch of AFC Championship games, two in a row, I guess, not a bunch, but two in a row. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that's that is something for the Jets. That's saying something for the Jets, so... Who knows? I mean, the Rod this team could be very good with Aaron Rodgers on it. I would not doubt any less that they would not become a favorite in the, you know, maybe not Chiefs level favorite, but definitely in the upper echelon of favorites in the AFC for sure. Uh, okay, and the other a couple other ones, the Dolphins, they traded for Jalen Ramsey. A great trade, if you ask me, for a third round pick. Uh, he's pairing, they're pairing Jalen Ramsey with Xavier Howard, and they should immediately, that should immediately prove uh, that defense. They were having some issues in the secondary last year. They got burned a couple of times, and that defense loves to basically just blitz all out and have the, the cornerbacks 
latch on to guys and cover them for as much as they can and then try to get after the quarterback. Uh, and if Jalen Ramsey's back there, if he's playing more like 2021 Jalen Ramsey, less like 2022 Jalen Ramsey, I do think he'll play a little bit better because he's on, he's going to be on a much better team than the Rams, obviously. Um, but we'll see. That position doesn't age very well either. So who knows? You can also play a little bit of that uh, that Terminator spot or whatever they call it where he's like playing uh, a linebacker with cornerback speed, but can still hit like a linebacker type situation. So uh, we'll see where, where they end up putting him. But I think he's going to be a fantastic, you know, a, fa- a fantastic addition to that uh, to that team. Regardless, they're going to be if Tua Tungavailoa comes out and plays and is able to stay healthy for a long time, if they're able to keep, you know, not a lot of teams don't figure them out necessarily. Uh, even though I mean, teams have been trying to figure out tight kill and forever. Uh, if they don't figure that out, then then uh, I think they're still going to be very very good uh and uh we'll see what happens afc east is up for the taking right now honestly if the dolphins are able to to really uh take advantage of the jalen ramsey trade and the bills have looked beatable over the last you know uh especially the last eight weeks of the season into the playoffs they definitely looked a little bit more beatable so the dolphins we'll see what happens we'll see what happens there they're in a good position i think uh and the Bengals. speaking of afc foe in the north they nabbed pro bowl tackle orlando brown from the chiefs out of free agency a great pickup for the Bengals. He signs a four-year, $64 million, uh, $64 million deal. Great pickup. It's going to signal the end for Lyle Collins with the Bengals. Uh, he's going to be fantastic on the left side. Uh, I guess you can uh, probably the left side, more likely than not, if you're going to give him that amount of money, they're going to play him where he's comfortable, not going to put him on the right side. Uh, it's only going to make the Bengals better. They're going to be fantastic. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some cutting after this for uh, a couple parts of their parts of their roster. Joe Mixon, I would imagine, is probably going to be gone after that. Um, because they're not going to sign Joe Mixon to an extension. I would not imagine given how uh, little the the running back position in general has, or how much, I guess, the running back position has kind of been deflated over the past few years. Uh, and speaking of that, Cowboys, they cut Zeke. He signed a six-year, $90 million deal with the Cowboys in 2019. A dreadful deal. Looking back on it, that was a deal that they should not have done, uh, should never have done, should have paid Dak or whoever, uh, you know, paid for better wide receivers or better offensive line help or a bunch of other situ- areas that you could have improved on. And then you end up getting uh, t- Tony Pollard in uh, as your backup regardless. And he ends up being arguably the better back just three years into the contract with Zeke. So that's going to be that. That's a good, that's a, that's a good cut for the Cowboys. In my opinion, I think uh, they're going to find a better situation with Zeke gone in terms of the rest of the the rest of the team around them. They already have. They got went out and got Brandon Cooks. That's a great addition to that team out wide uh, and should only expand the uh, the offense more with Dak Prescott behind center. They're going to have uh, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, obviously, and Brandon Cooks. That's a pretty, pretty stacked three-man lineup uh, for your wide receivers. So with your trips, with your trips receivers. So we'll see what the Cowboys do. Zeke's last play, though, that's going to be last play with the Cowboys. That's uh that's that's going to be memorable one. If you're not familiar, hiked the ball. He was playing center. It was the last play of the game against the 49ers. He was playing center. There were no other offensive linemen, uh, and he hikes the ball to Dak Prescott, and he just gets absolutely blown up, pancaked to the millionth degree, uh, and that's the last time we saw of Zeke as a, as a uh, cowboy for now. He could sign a retirement deal or something like that, or they sign him down the line for less money or something like that. Who knows? Uh, but that is that's possibly, as it stands right now, more than likely going to be the last cowboy or last play of uh, of uh, Ezekiel Alex cowboy career, which is uh, kind of funny to think about. That's kind of funny. That's a that's a funny that's a funny way to end your cowboy career or anybody's career really at any other at any other team. That's a funny way to end your career. Just getting pancaked on a weird 
terrible play call at the end of a game that was supposed to be like the Hail Mary, quote unquote, that they had been practicing uh, all, you know, during during the ends of uh, for the end of game schemes and stuff like that. And then it ended that way where he gets just pancaked. They throw the ball for like a six yard slant or whatever. And it falls. I think it did fall incomplete or did it, it was just a six yard slant and it gets tackled and then it was game over. I mean, that was basically it. It was awesome. It was awesome. And that was the final play of Zeke's career as a cowboy. So, yeah, that was uh, that was fun. Free agency, ladies and gentlemen, it's going. And then we're going to have the draft here in just a little. Was it in April, like halfway through April, something like that? Football is, it used to be you get six months off or whatever it was. And now here we are. It's basically a yearly thing, a year round thing, I guess is what I should say. A year round thing, no matter what. We're already getting mock drafts and everything like that. Free agency is always fun. Uh, and here we are preparing for the draft. We're getting crazy free agency stuff. Uh, Aaron Rodgers being cryptic, you know, talking about where he's going to go, sleeping under rocks and stuff like that. I don't know what he does. Uh, and then turns all the lights off in his house and just stands there. You know, I don't know what he does. And it's all to figure out if he wants to play for the jets or not, which granted to be fair, I think we would all go to extremes to try to figure out if we actually want to play for the jets or not. I don't know why I'm really, I don't know why I'm slamming the jets right now, to be honest with you. I have nothing against the jets. I feel bad for them to be honest with you. Honestly, look, I'm a Vikings fan, so I get it. You know, I never want to see you guys have more Super Bowls than we do. So I don't know what I'm hating on. You know what I mean? More props to you. More props to you. You got more than us, but I get it. You know, uh, you know, not a lot of people want to come up to Minnesota and play in Minnesota either. You know, we got the, the, the crappy version of Brett Favre, except for one year. And then after that, it got, you know, bad. And then after that, it got even, it got a little weird. So, you know, props to the Jets. Hopefully they get him. I actually, I want to see the Jets to see just because they kind of deserve it after the disaster that has been uh, the Jets franchise for the last, whatever, 40 years or whatever. I don't know why I'm keep throwing jabs at the Jets, but sorry, you know, whatever. That's just, we're going to conclude the show on that. I want to thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in uh, very much. Watch the conclusion of the WBC. If you haven't already go USA, you know, Mar the, the end of the college basketball tournaments coming up, that's going to conclude soon. Uh, and then we're going to get sure we're going to get into baseball season here in what a, a week and a half, even though it's snowing here in Sheridan, it's literally snowing here in Sheridan. We've got professional baseball first game. Uh, was it March 30th? So a week and a half or so. So excited. I'm going to be sitting here watching baseball. It's going to be 35 degrees outside and somewhere down South. They're going to be playing. It's going to be 75 degrees. Lots of home runs being hit. I'm super excited. It's right around the corner. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're almost there. Almost to baseball season. All right. That's going to wrap up the show. Thank you very much for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you to Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Make sure you check them out for all of your real estate needs, whether you're buying or selling. Make sure you check them out. Uh, but for now, I've been your host, James Timberlake, and this has been the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. <laughs>